On today's show, what the Donovan Mitchell trade means for Darius Garland. We'll dive into all angles of that on today's show. Thank you for making Locked on Cavs your first listen every day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked on Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. All right, the music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astro Radio. Check them out on Apple Music or Spotify. I'm Chris Manning, covering the Cavs and the NBA at large for places like Diamond Up Rocks and Estimations for the Sword. My co-host is Evan Damerill, primarily covering the Cleveland sports scene at Meadows right down Euclid. Uh, the, the, <laughs> this episode, Jake, cut that. I messed that up. One, two, three. This episode... This episode was produced by Jake Stevens, but he is not with us today behind the virtual glass. Today's show is going to be all about the Darius Garland part of the Donovan Mitchell trade. Evan, I think their fit is the where we should start with this because I think their fit makes a lot of sense. I think I can understand if people look at this and I and I think it's part of the calculus and saying, okay, these are these guards are both six one. You know, maybe optimally, if you're building next to either one of them, you'd want a bigger two that does some of this stuff or a three. I think considering just where, you know, you're, you're, what you're able to get and the timing of it all, I think I understand you going into this. Obviously, we've been, I think, pretty pro this trade and pretty pro their fit. I also think they're both really going to be able to complement each other in real interesting ways. I think there is going to be a give and take and, and kind of a, a, a figuring out period, which we'll, I will get into um, as we kind of go through the show. But I think there's a lot of reason, particularly on the offensive side of the floor, to feel really good about how these two fit together. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Like, you, you hit the nail on the head because I was about to say there are still concerns about the fit defensively. I think people will point to the fact that the Cavs at least personnel-wise, kind of made a lateral move defensively like between Sexton and Mitchell. And I think there's, I don't know, maybe some fair questions you can make with Mitchell too. Maybe just we can break that down later, obviously. But offensively, yes, this this is a clear upgrade in talent for the Cavs. This is a great off-ball option for the Cavs playing next to Darius Garland because he's still the lead guard of this team. He is still the de facto face of this franchise. And I think Donovan Mitchell being there right alongside him, did it with Evan Mobley and Jerry Allen, helps a lot too. But... You saw a lot of it last year, especially when Sexton and then Rubio went down, that the Cavs tried to see if they could get some juice out of Karis LeVert and make him that like off-ball threat as a bigger guard, quote-unquote, that could provide you some defense and playmaking, et cetera, et cetera. Mostly scoring is what you're hoping for, relieve defensive pressure that Garland faced. And you didn't see a ton of that, honestly, when mostly because LeVert was out due to his foot injuries and the fact that he just wasn't fully acclimated until the end of the season with the Cavs. And even then, he wasn't completely acclimated. He still looked a little bit uncomfortable. Just kind of figuring out how Cleveland goes through things. But offensively, yeah, this this is a pretty clean fit for Cleveland. Um, People, again, will point to the Colin Sexton aspect, saying they already had uh, Donovan Mitchell at home and Colin Sexton. But I think what you're getting with Mitchell right now is what the Cavs had always hoped they would get with Sexton, and they ultimately just never did. And it's the three-point shooting. It's the, I mean, the secondary ball handling and the play creation for his teammates and just really being an option that the Cavs can kind of lean on so that they don't run Darius Garland ragged for an 82-plus game season. 
I think one of the things that makes at least me feel compelled about this, Evan, is that I don't think either of these guys are like going to be like Trey Young or like a Russell Westbrook, where oh, uh, their whole thing is being on the ball. Their whole thing is is really dominating the flow of the game. I think like obviously both guys have done that and will do that, and we've seen them you know want to do that and lean into that at times. And and there's there's reasons to think you that will just happen at times based on when they're on the floor and who they're not with, but. These guys are, I think, also both comfortable and have shown willingness to do the other stuff and play a different way. There, there's not, mm-hmm. there is going to be, I think, and we'll get into this more in segment two, just because I think there's a dynamic part of this that I think is sort of interesting with with Mitchell and this and Garland being a different type and stratosphere of point guard than he's played with before. But I think that they're both just guys who have an ability to do this other stuff. Like I think, and it's the, the vibe from what they've said from kind of asking around about it is I do think there is willingness to do it. I think that the interesting part of it is that I think there will be a change in, in how they both play offensively a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like Mitchell takes way more pull-up threes than catch and shoot threes. I don't think that's going to completely flip, but like I expect that that gap to shrink Garland last yeah. year, 2.8 catch and shoot threes per game, uh, 3.8 pull-ups, you know, that, that feels like a pretty, maybe it stays, together maybe that kind of stays where it is but like does you know does he take more catch and shoot like it just and is there ways to see how that happens when Mitchell's on the floor versus when Mitchell is not like I I think some of these little mini dynamics of how they kind of end up complimenting each other is the case and the defensive side of the ball which I think is the other part of this obviously I think the Cavs say hey we have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley it's putting a lot of pressure on them but like mm-hmm. you've I think you feel pretty confident and hoping they can just give you a top 10 defense or whatever, top five defense. If Especially if Mobley hits the ceiling, I think the Cavs think he can. And secondly, I think you're also betting that Donovan Mitchell has a 6'10 wingspan. And yes, he got absolutely shredded in the, in the Dallas series. But if you take him at his word from what he said at this press conference and you take his wingspan and you take that being just being a little bit longer and he's, six, he's 215 pounds, Listed at 215, where you know, Gar- you know, Garland's listed at 182, I believe. Sexton is listed, um, looking at see he's listed at 190. Like, he's just a little bit bigger. I think you're betting on that being an mm-hmm. asset for you and that helping kind of making this defensively work, even if it's not like what you would say the size you'd want as a backcourt out of your lab would be. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the catch and shoot versus the pull up numbers are definitely interesting. I think. When you look at just the three-point gravity both Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland possess, maybe that's where you said like the line will kind of be a little bit closer, especially for Mitchell at least. Like if Darius is able to kick it out or if he drives in the interior and Donovan is floating out the uh, top of the key or something like that, like that's that's a pretty good opportunity for Mitchell to catch the ball and shoot it because I think he's going to have more open opportunities because that backcourt alone is going to keep defenses very honest because they're both very, very lethal three-point shooters. And I think the Cavs can kind of get creative with it, especially with like Evan Mobley being an offensive hub too. Like there's a lot of stuff there. And to your point, the physical attributes are there for Donovan Mitchell. I don't know if it's a question of effort at times. Yes, he got shredded against Dallas. So there's definitely a lot of concerns. And I think there's a lot of tape on him at this point on how teams can kind of make him uncomfortable on the defensive side of the ball. But to what I'm getting with here, it's just those two playing off of one another. I think maybe he doesn't have to exert as much effort offensively because in Utah, they try to have Mike Conley just kind of be what Karis LeVert was for Darius Garland at times. And obviously Mike Conley is a much different beast than Karis LeVert, but 
the Jazz didn't have the personnel on the interior. Like, yes, they had Rudy Gobert, but they have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley now. Like, there's a lot of interesting things here. Where maybe Mitchell doesn't have to exert himself as much offensively. You might see a slight scoring dip because Garland is the de facto lead guard, and I think they're going to have to go through those growing pains already. But maybe... One, J.P. Bickerstaff is able to maximize the potential and make him a serviceable defensive player. Like, he made Larry Markton look okay at times. He made Dean Wade look okay at times. Both are fours or fives that should be that are being forced to play the three in Cleveland's situation. And, Evan, Evan, again, Evan Mobley is like, yeah. hey, He's Larry Markton, you, you don't have to hang out on the, on like the chase around this wing. Evan Mobley can take over for you. Like, it's fine. It's cool. In the words of Don, in the late Jonathan Sharks, they they already have a wing defender and Evan Mobley outright, and it, I'm confident in his trajectory, and we'll see where it goes. Maybe putting those expectations in year two is a little high, but we'll again we'll see where it, where it takes them. But um, to my point is just he won't have to exert himself as much offensively, and maybe in turn with Bickerstaff kind of maximizing his given abilities. And Chris, after we recorded the other day, you were kind of looking at some of his. Ske- college scouting reports out of Louisville like he wasn't a bad defensive player at Louisville and maybe it is an effort thing but also maybe just not having to use as much energy on offense because he's like the primary option to initiate things for the Jazz will probably make it a little bit easier for him to reserve energy and then exert it on the other side of the ball because he has Garland kind of taking some of that load off his shoulders yes all right after the break we are going to continue this conversation by Looking at how Darius Garland is on the up and up and how some of the other point guards that the Jazz paired Donovan Mitchell with were in a little bit of a different spot. But first, we're going to tell everyone about our friends at Rocket Money. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about. Maybe for you, it's an unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. There's this great app that I use that helps me track all of my expenses And because of it, I no longer waste money on subscriptions I don't even use. You might even heard of it. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows you all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. You can even find subscriptions you didn't even know you were paying for with Rocket Money. You may even find out that you've been double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash lockdown. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash locked on. All right, back here on the Lockdown Cavs podcast. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Jarmel. We are your team every day here at Lockdown. Evan, here, here's just something I was thinking about when considering this, this pairing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard, like, it's not one of those things that we can go and, like, pull a number from, or, like, I I, th- I would be kind of curious to, like, ask. It'd be a very delicate question to ask, like, on the record. It's almost something you'd want to, like, ask kind of on background if you could. But, like, just because I think you would get a better answer that way and just kind of inform thinking that way. But Darius Garland is 22, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to be 23 in January, in 2023. This is a different kind of guard than the Jazz paired with him. Ricky, this isn't Ricky Rubio at age 27. Mm-hmm. This isn't Mike getting Mike Conley at age 32. This is someone who is an ascending player coming off their first all-star appearance. And so with more to deal, still with more talent and upside to tap into, I think just I, I'm it seems like there's a level of respect there and, and all of that. So like I think it's not like 
I'm expe- I'm not saying that they're gonna come in and like butt heads. I just I I'm curious to see how the give and take of two guys. Mitchell obviously a little bit older, second team Garland kind of in and this being the team he's he's been with his career, first all star team, all of that. Still trying to get getting his feet wet in terms of the upper upper echelon of guards in this league and players in the NBA. How they balance each other and how like the dynamic with Mitchell works that it's now like this ascending guy with him and not sort of a veteran there to support him, I think yeah. is 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 kind of interesting. Well, let me ask you this, like, because I hundred percent agree with you, um, Darius Garland. His star is rising. Um, I think I could go out on a limb and say that he could be one of the best point guards in the Eastern Conference or in the league within the next couple of years or so, just based on his trajectory and just how crazy that year three leap was for him and just, you know, the, the new stratosphere he's in. Do you think, because Mitchell is 26 and he's one of the older quote unquote core four players alongside Allen in this one, do you think he has some juice in the tank and maybe we see some, I mean, obviously he does, but do you think we'll see like some type of like growth from him offensively? Because he does have a very complete package of what the Cavs kind of need out of that two guard spot, sands the defense and the lack of size, obviously. So I, I hit on this in something that'll come out on Thursday as we we're doing a over Fear the Sword, we have our big player preview series kicking off. I wrote about Mitchell. This is why I, I think asked we're gonna it. What? This is why I asked it because I edited it. Yes. The the thing about Mitchell is I think you're gonna see him evolve. I think I think there is no way this doesn't work for both of them and they both continue to get paid lots of money and get all-star appearances and maybe and and i think ultimately like win lots of basketball games and, and make runs at the finals or whatever their ceiling ends up being with this group mitchell will have to evolve in some way i think gar i think if you're looking at this partnership mitchell has like come into 26 he's had the disappointment of the utah thing he's seen he's had the multiple playoff runs to get stalled out and it was time for something new mm-hmm Garland is getting Garland has one of the through lines of what he said publicly. You know, he said this last year at All Star Weekend. He he said that on an interview that came out that he did this summer with with a podcast whose name I can't remember. Um, I just remember seeing the clip of it and then listening to the whole thing. He, I think he like he's at that point where he's trying to like carve out exactly what he like his own legacy and his own, for lack of a better word, and his own like real place within everything. And I think like. Not that Mitchell's like not interested in that, but like he's kind of gone through like the being the young like upstart twenty two year old guy who's yeah. like just caught like just getting started with that, and I and I think the Mitchell thing we're like there's just no way that Mitchell functions like you don't get Donovan Mitchell to not be the Donovan Mitchell that you saw in Utah, but there's no way that Donovan Mitchell that you will have will be exactly the same yeah. just based on these the teams their personnel how they yep. play Garland I think you can kind of expect in some ways Evan to like. If he's just like kind of a more refined version of what he was last year, that would kind of track to me as far as his partnership goes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And that's that's kind of what I wanted to allude to is just I we can't exactly pinpoint what we're gonna see, but I agree. Like we're gonna see something obviously it's it's going to be different than the situation in Utah because as you noted, he's not being paired with like a veteran kind of past their twilight and Ricky Grubia or Mike Conley in the backcourt. He's paired with an ascending star. Uh, he has a lot of young energetic personnel stars surrounding him too. And Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, like Isaac Okoro is a top five pick as Richard Jefferson put when he was describing the starting lineup. He's just like Isaac Okoro, a top five pick. And then just kept going on the rest of the list. But the Cavs have a lot of interesting pieces to kind of surround Mitchell too, and one cover for his deficiencies as a defensive player. 
Um, you have Mobley, you have Allen, you have Okoro. I think uh, Lamar Stevens could get some burn every now and then, too, just depending on who they're playing. Like They have some interesting kind of just pieces that can plug and play here. And now the offensive identity and how the Cavs want to shape this, it, it's going to... I wrote about this a little bit in the last mailbag for Write Down Euclid for just a while. Not the last mailbag period, but the last one in a while. So it's not going to be figured out in training camp. It's not going to be figured out in the preseason. It's probably going to take 10, 15, 20 games, maybe even the All-Star break to fully flesh out like how this works. I think about how like LeBron and Dwayne Wade kind of struggled to figure out how to coexist with one another. And then Chris Bosh was just the fall guy for everybody's issues in Miami. Or the same issues with LeBron and Kyrie, and then Kevin Love being the fall guy for every issue here in Cleveland for a while. Um, it's going to be a little ugly at first, but I think just because there's so much young personnel surrounding Mitchell, that yes, you're going to get a version of what you saw in Utah. It's not going to be the high, super, super high usage guy, but like there's going to be glimpses and glimmers and flashes of that, but I think we're going to see something that's a lot more. I just can't exactly pinpoint it. Maybe it's defense. Maybe it's playmaking. Maybe it's increase in efficiency from three-point range. Maybe it's more catch-and-shoot numbers just shooting up a little bit because he's playing off ball so much to Garland. Like, there's a lot of interesting parables here and, and avenues the Cavs can pursue with this, and that they think that's what's so exciting about this pairing for me is just there's a lot of stuff being unlocked for this Cavs team overall offensively. Like, it's going to do a lot for the rest of this team, obviously, too. Do you, do you think there's pressure on it to work right away? Like, day one, they just both think they, they, it comes out working just firing. I mean, sports fandom is a fickle beast to begin with, so I think there will be public pressure from the outside, from like the fan base, if it like falls flat on its face. The first I preseason think, game where Mitchell just like has like he's like one of twelve, and people are just firing off like crazy. I tweets. cannot wait for the athletic sub headline to say Rome is burning when the Cavs just kind of get slaughtered for the first few games, and it's buddy ball, as Dion Waiters would put it. But no, guy, I, I, shout, I shout out shout out Dion Waiters forever. I don't expect it to be working because Mitchell has played a certain way in Utah. He was the de facto guy. Darius Garland last year was the de facto guy for the Cavs, and it burned him out quite a bit. I think these two having an off-court relationship and kind of being like a big brother, little brother situation or just friends off the court, like that helps a lot with establishing on-court chemistry, but there's going to be growing pains. This Cavs team has some heavy expectations on their shoulders, and they're incredibly young. They're one of the youngest teams in the NBA still. And adding a top 20 player Mitchell, it's going to take some figuring out. And I think that's why I said, like, it's not going to be figured out in training camp or preseason. It's going to take 10, 15, 20 games. And even then, like, it's still going to take some time. Like, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be perfect. But I think the Cavs just knowing who they are helps a lot already to figure out this new piece. But it's going to take time. It's going to be messy. And they got to kind of have to learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable through this. Uh, I am. I I think that the the big brother little brother thing will also just be sort of like I I like it's ultimately better if they like I like. Okay, I know they're. It's not like a big age difference. I'm kind of curious to see like it, it's like three years. I wonder if it's like like I I do kind of, that dynamic would be just kind of interesting to know like unvarnished like how do they fusion and how does evan mobley then fit into this as well because he's kind of like the third banana whereas whereas jared allen's just like i'm gonna roll to the room and dunk on people and like oh, jared can't. allen is gonna feast man if like i'm thinking about this because but in terms of like the ego of it i mean like he's just like ah, oh like, i'm just gonna get i'm gonna get dunks and do my jared allen things. that's gonna be a tough task for jb bickerstaff and his staff to kind of 
this is where you wish Ty Lue was still head coach of the Cavs, because I think he would kind of put everyone in place really quick with uh, egos and everything else. He would do the classics, as you would say, stare at the championship banner across the practice facility if anybody ever questioned what he thought. Yeah, well, like... It's just like it's I but I do think to to like JB's credit, I do think I would like trust this. Well, I, with, I believe with, in JB, with like, but, but I just, it's like I know Ty like, Lue's good yeah. at this stuff. Well, but it's like him and like and like Walton and like JJ Allah, like some of these guys that have been around and also some of them who know Mitchell, and it's like it's not like mm-hmm. the John Bayline era. Oh yeah. No, no, no. Because like no, this no, doesn't no, work if if like John Bayline or David Blatt's the head coach, like like light throw the grenade into the room and like walk away and just let and then like we'll watch it implode and then Mitchell will be playing we would be then playing for the Knicks in like eighteen months. Yeah. So I don't know. The ego aspect of it is interesting. I think winning fixes a lot of these issues too. Like I think the Cavs not being as leaky of a ship after kind of jettisoning not jettisoning but trading some of the players who are a little bit more chatty and leaking details on the internal side of things might help too. Um this this the I think if they come out winning, it'll help a lot, and it'll help kind of like you ignore the screaming issues they might have on offense at times, and especially on defense, but it's it's going to be ugly at first. Like, I'm pretty comfortable in saying, like, it's not going to be perfect for a little bit. Yes. All right. One more break. Let's talk about easing the burden on Darius Garland and why that maybe is the biggest benefit for him in this trade, aside from just getting another really good player to play with right after this. All right, back here in Lockdown Cavs. Evan, I'm going to reference something back uh, from our August 15th episode from the outline of that. I went and pulled these, so I didn't have to pull these numbers again. Garland was last year in clutch situations, 36.7% from the field, 24% from three. Uh, The numbers weren't great with Rubio either, so it's like kind of like an over-year thing. So this isn't just like a plug this in and now it's fixed. But I think like the him... One of the biggest benefits of Mitchell is just that, like, you have a, like, how they decide, like, who's taking the end-of-game shots, I think there's, like, some flexibility in how that work. I think you draw stuff up. Mm-hmm. Maybe some guy's a decoy certain night or whatever. Like, I think they have, like, it is now not on Garland to just, like, have to, like, man everything for the last, like, five minutes of a close game or, like, in a playoff series. Like, yeah. It, and like even ju- we'll get into the maintenance part of it as well because that's part of this. But I think even just like when the game gets mucky and like you need the best players to come up big and do all the cliche stuff, like you have a dude who is very who's just proven in that. And Garland's like workload is now no longer like the whole defense is going to be paying attention to me and daring me to pass to a core when the corner or like Evan Mobley making a play. Like, like they have someone who is proven in the playoffs of doing some of this stuff and that that in itself is like i think a boon for darius garland to just have to not carry the world on his shoulders every night yeah i agree with that and especially in playoff situations um i think donovan mitchell just kind of being there so often and you know just having a reputation of being a big time player especially in big time moments and in clutch situations like that like he's known for that i think having that helps a lot too because i was talking with about this with somebody the other day where if you break down Cleveland's roster in terms of playoff experience, it's like Kevin loves won a championship. I think he has a lot of clout here. Uh, Jared Allen's been in the playoffs. So is Karis LeVert with the nets. Uh, Jetty Osmond technically was on a finals team. 
And then you have like Robin Lopez who has experience. So does Ricky Rubio. But like Donovan Mitchell is going to be a guy who's playing there on a night to night basis. And you noticed last year because Garland said it and a couple other guys have said it too. Like the, the Cavs had never been there mm. before. So like they don't know how to win those really important matchups or like know how to get up for these games that are like quote unquote trap games where you get spanked by the Pistons on a Sunday afternoon. Like Donovan Mitchell, I think just kind of always being there and being that guy in those situations is going to help the Cavs a lot and relieve a lot of like those expect the pressures of expectations because he hasn't crumbled in the past and he has a pretty healthy body of work in regards to that as well. And maybe Again, that's going to help Darius a lot, too, and the Cavs don't have to lean on him as much and to kind of just say, like, okay, Darius, you have two guys defending you, or you have a guy defending you with somebody sagging off Isaac in certain possessions, so they're just going to frustrate you and kind of clog up and muck up the paint around the perimeter. Like, go ahead and make it work for us. Now you have a guy on Mitchell who can relieve a lot of that defensive pressure, but also I think the pressure of expectations, too. Even just, like, what if, like, even just if you think about, like, they advance the ball. If there's eight seconds on the clock, you know, let's whoever's inbound. One of them, maybe like you know, Mobley's inbounding it, or or whomever. Like they bring in someone, or Rubio's. Maybe Rubio's like the Rubio is like the uh, de facto inbounder. Seems like a seems like a thing to me in my head. Or Kevin Love, like one of those two, just gets to be like the inbound guy. A three guard, a three guard lineup would slap for the Cavs. It'd be fun. Yeah. Well, it's like do you. I, that's actually something we could, we have an episode we're gonna do like talk about ten training camp questions and maybe like three guard is three what if three guard now I'm wondering if three guard is with Mobley doing all the defensive work is just the is the new is the new three big uh but that that's a question for like January because Ricky Ruby is not gonna play until January mm-hmm. like even at the end of games like one of these guys both these guys are such good shooters and so capable that like. You now are in a situation where one like the defense can't just focus in on on someone fully. Like they, like one of these guys can like is going to take pressure, off, give the other one room to do something. Oh yeah, you know like even if, like like Mitchell maybe ends up being the guy who gets some of these shots. I wouldn't be surprised if he's kind of like the like you mentioned. But like maybe there's a night where like hey like you know they're playing the Heat. Jimmy Butler is is on Donovan like. We can we'll do an off ball we'll do an off ball screen. Darius gets to attack Tyler Hero one on one with eight seconds on the That's clock. Like you can about. do like there's just more built in flexibility into this. And and the Evan the other part of this as we get to the end here is we talked about this I think in our trade breakdown and, and already. But I think it's really worth noting that like if one of them picks up an injury or like needs a night off or just like how is this it just doesn't just, have the, it one night. Yeah. You are gonna be in a position where, like, you your margin for error and your ability to sustain like an injury to one of these guys not a not a big injury like any big injury is obviously gonna kind of screw you. Oh yeah, but you can you can avoid some of these. Like if Darius Garland again gets that back injury he had last year, he can take a couple of days off, get right, rehab all that stuff, and you're in a much better place. Absolutely, and I think. As the Cavs get healthier over time, there's going to be a lot of questions about how Ricky Rubio looks post ACL tear, of course. But like, if you get even a glimmer of what he was last season with the Cavs. Like, I think that's a huge win, and, like, that can get you a lot, too, especially because he just played so much bigger than he actually was as a player, too. But it it is an interesting hypothetical to think about because Mitchell can carry that offensive load. Garland can carry that offensive load. I wonder, like, if Evan Mobley adds a little – because, like, you see these open gym workouts he's in. Like, he's shooting threes a lot, and he looks a lot more comfortable shooting them. Like, if Mobley – 
is able to take two to three to four three-pointers a night, and he hits them at a fairly consistent clip. Like, that unlocks the Cavs a little bit offensively more, too. And, like, that also lets you, like, play Isaac Okoro with Karis LeVert, not really shooters at the three as well, and opens up slashing lanes for them. Like, the multiple opportunities the Cavs and just what they can explore in general is pretty interesting for them. And I think... It's just going to kind of be figuring out the warts and the wrinkles and maybe bringing Luke Walton in helps with this too because Walton did have experience coaching a young backcourt of De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton for a little bit. Obviously it didn't work, but I think he'll have maybe some input and insight too just to kind of make it work. And I think it could be helpful and beneficial. I think Sidney Lowe kind of being one of the guard whisperers helps a lot too. And maybe just a lot of interesting things the Cavs can kind of do here to unlock this offense and... Like you said, let's just say like Garland's back, like it it doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. He seems to be healthy and fine. But let's say he has like a nagging injury again. Like the Cavs don't typically rush their players back, but like they can really sit down Garland and wait for him to be right. Because if they have Donovan Mitchell and let's say Ricky Rubio's healthy and Hollow Neto is able to give you a little bit of a serviceable gap as a backup point as well, like you're able to stay afloat at that point because if Garland, because let's not forget when Garland went down and Kevin Pangos was starting at the point, like the Cavs were bad offensively and then like they weren't much better with Rajon Rondo, but they were at least able to run a functional NBA offense with Rondo at the point, but like now it gives the Cavs avenues to be creative in the event like a a small injury happens like Chris is like obviously like a big injury that's devastating that's going to dismantle everything but like this this it's interesting to think about what ways and where the Cavs can go with this yes uh Evan last thing I think we should also just know and we're going to talk on this maybe we get to a Garland preview or starting lineup preview or rotation preview whatever I would just say I would suspect some staggering. I think the logical way to, to oh, handle yeah. this is let's just say they play four or five minutes together to start a game. One of them goes to the bench. The other one gets to finish the first quarter. Then the other one comes back. The other And the one who's on the bench comes back to the second one. The other one sits. They finish the first half. They start the third quarter. And then they'll finish games together. That would be how I would suspect. That would be like the logical way to... I, I, just, I think it would be kind of crazy if not one of them is on the floor at all times. Yeah, I think, yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, you stagger this a lot, too. That's also just a smart way to kind of get this offense going as well and maybe just get these guys more comfortable. Like, maybe you pull Garland early, you play Mitchell for the remainder of the first, and then, like, Garland start the second the corner with, golly, Halloween for, for for a little bit, then Ricky Rubio once he's fully healthy again. Like, there's ways you can go about this and just kind of the guard rotation is very interesting now. And I think the Cavs kind of playing quote-unquote positionless basketball where they just kind of try to put the best five guys on the floor in any given situation makes it interesting too. And, like, they have some pretty – they have some good depth pieces behind, like, just their core four right now. And, like, they can do some interesting stuff with it. Like, they could still go big and they can go small. They found success at that at times last year too. I think there's a lot of creative ways. And now, like, the Cavs can be a little more dynamic and a little less static heading into the season because – Again, they have a lot of teams have tape on like what Larry Mark and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen were, and they found ways to attack it and kind of overwhelm the Cavs on the interior when that was such a strong asset of what they were defensively. Yes. All right. We will be back tomorrow. Um, as for the first of a two-part episode, we're going to do on ten training camp questions we have about the 2022-2023 Cleveland Cavaliers. Again, that's going to be a two-parter. So come back for part one tomorrow. 
and then part two on Wednesday. This episode was produced by Jake Stevens, as always. Thanks again to Jake for doing a great job making the show sound so much better than it did when I was doing it. Uh, I want to thank you for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen. Now, go and make NBA, the NBA Top 50 on Lockdown NBA your second listen. Which NBA player moves the betting line the most this season? Locked on and the Bet Online Oddsmakers present the NBA Top 50 Most Valuable Players. You might hear some certain familiar Cavs, Locked On Cavs hosts, uh, sprinkled in throughout that somewhere. You have to tune in to find out. Find it on the Locked On NBA feed wherever you get your podcast or and on YouTube. Thanks again to Evan for co-hosting with me, making this a fun experience. Again, back tomorrow. This has been Locked On Cavs, your team every day.